From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Like many of us, I won't be seeing anyone who lives outside my house for Thanksgiving this year. So, in the spirit of 2020, I got together with an old friend from afar on this week's podcast to talk about practicing gratitude in the middle of a tough time. Father Michael Rossman is a Jesuit priest from the U.S. Midwest province where he works as a vocations promoter. Back in the mid-aughts, he and I were roommates in Dillon Hall at the University of Notre Dame. We talked last week about keeping spiritually nourished during the pandemic and how the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, can help heal divisions even when we can't all get to Mass. I'm so happy we got to reprise our late-night dorm conversations without actually having to live in a dorm. Thanks for joining us, and happy Thanksgiving. Well, Father Michael Rossman, welcome to a very special Thanksgiving episode of AMDG. How are you doing? I'm great. It's good to be with you, Mike. So I was thinking around Thanksgiving, hey, like we, we're not traveling this year. We're not going to see anyone who doesn't live in our house already. That's one of the nicest things about the holidays generally is to see people. So I'm going to call up my old friend and college roommate, the good father, Michael Rossman, so we can hang out for Thanksgiving on a podcast. So that's what we're doing. Love it. What a great idea. Oh, well, well, thank you. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving in a few different ways. So again, it is like a weird year this year. Uh, one of our family traditions, I don't know if we've done this enough times to say tradition. Like I, I think sometimes you you think you have a tradition and you'd like, if you actually went back and looked, like maybe you've done this like four times, but it feels like it's a tradition is to like go around the table and say what you're thankful for on Thanksgiving. Everyone mm-hmm. likes to do that. Um, this is a weird year for gratitude in some ways. There's maybe a longer list of things we are not grateful for, but lesson of the spiritual life is that you can cultivate gratitude even in difficult times. So I, I want to, yeah, let's start with that tradition. We're going to make our own AMDG tradition. Let's go around our two person table. What are you grateful for this year? Father Rossman? Yes. So I am grateful for community. I am particularly mindful of the fact that so many people have not had community in quite the same way this year. I particularly think of people who live on their own and have been so isolated. And so I'm often grateful for my Jesuit community, but in a particular way, grateful for the men I get to live with. Uh, I guess I'm also grateful for the internet. (laughs) I've oftentimes thought about how this pandemic would be so different, you know, 25 or 30 years ago without Zoom and WhatsApp and podcasts and so forth. Uh, So I am grateful for the ability to connect with people in some ways uh, during this time. And I guess maybe this sounds a little morbid, but (laughs) I'm also grateful for how this whole experience has pushed people to consider their own mortality. I think in our culture, we oftentimes deny death. We try to ignore it. We try to hide from it, but it's part of life. And I think this situation has pushed all of us to, you know, consider what it's all about and consider what's really important. 
What is that tradition called, like the Catholic tradition, like memento mori? Is that right? Like to have like an item or like an image or right. something that like reminds you of your own death, something that like you would see or look at or think about pretty frequently. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't gone in the deep end and put like a skull on my desk, but uh, <laughs> I think it is helpful to, yeah, remember, remember our death so that, you know, we really live. That reminds me of a class we, I think a class we took together in college when we were young undergrads with the late great father, John Dunn, who was this mystic. I remember like the first day of that class, he would like sit, he was kind of hunched over and would sit at the front and like, he didn't pass out a syllabus. He just said like, he started, I think it started the class by saying like, these are four spiritual truths. And everyone like pulls out their paper and like, oh, let me write down the spiritual truths. Um, and that the class was like, again, amazing. He really was, I think, a mystic. And like, but he talked about like the sense of when you kind of acknowledge your own death, like this is going to happen, then like your life project opens up in front of you in some ways, like maybe allows you to kind of see what's most important, how you might be called. Have you done any like reflection on your own like vocation in this context, like as someone who's talking to people as a vocation promoter, talking all the time, like how has your own sense of vocation or helping other people think about their vocations changed by this, this heightened sense of our own mortality? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think for many people, particularly in the first several months of the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty and of course, there still is great uncertainty, but particularly early on, there was so much uncertainty. So I think for many people, it can be difficult to consider the big questions when you don't really have firm footing, uh, you don't have a solid foundation, but maybe we're in a different stage at this point. And I think this time has pushed many of us to you know, consider what we are going to do, you know, with this one wild and precious life, as I think it was Mary Oliver said. Uh, and so I have seen that with uh, the young men I accompany who are considering the possibility of a Jesuit vocation. Uh, and, you know, so I do see some, some great hope in that, while, of course, being mindful of, you know, all that we have uh, lost this year as well. So you, you mentioned up top your gratitude for your Jesuit community. People have all kinds of different, you know, bubbles that they're in or pods or whatever. Like, are, are you saying, like just your family, just your apartment, you and a couple of friends, like people have like made their own arrangements. Uh, religious life is a unique arrangement kind of always and especially now. So could you like bring us like a little bit behind the scenes? How many guys are you living with? Like what? Are you like hanging out together? Are you still like staying in separate rooms? Are you celebrating mass together? Like, so what, what has that life been like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I oftentimes laugh, especially with, you know, the, the increase in the number of cases, which has then resulted in some stricter regulations in terms of gatherings, particularly, you know, we're not supposed to have gatherings of more than 10 people. And I, I laugh because my community is we are 16, <laughs> so we we break that every single day. Um, now, of course, we we take various precautions and, and so forth like everyone else. Well, at the same time, this this is our home and we're not going to kick out six members of our <laughs> of our family, you know, of our Jesuit community in order to, you know, hit the mark of only 10 people. And so we do. Uh, continue to have mass together. We continue to have meals together. 
Now, if someone travels for some reason, and a number of us have ministerial commitments that require us to travel a little bit, then, you know, guys go into uh, a self-imposed quarantine and so forth uh, and are really mindful of, you know, trying not to, you know, spread anything that they may have gotten uh, elsewhere to the other community members. So I have become very familiar with, uh, you know, spending time uh, in my room. And if I go outside of my room, you know, wearing a mask and so forth, if I have recently traveled, uh, but we are still able to live together as a community. You're a big traveler. You like to hit the road, get out there, be active. Um, a lot of that stuff that you had been doing before the pandemic obviously has stopped and you've been at your community probably a lot more than you thought you would have been or, or had been. How have you, someone who likes to get out and, and do those things and to be active, like how have you like kind of spiritually managed your way through this time? Yeah, it has been a challenge. Uh, I am someone who, who does travel a lot, as you said. I, I joke and say that in my role as a vocation promoter, much of my job normally includes large events and travel. <laughs> and those things have been largely thrown out the window. You know, so I guess I go back to, to a few things. Again, I'm grateful for, for my community. Uh, I'm grateful for just being able to, you know, take walks and get some sunshine and so forth. That has been so necessary. Additionally, many of my close friends live all over the world. And, you know, I was not able to gather with them in person regularly anyway. And so I have been able to continue to, you know, gather with them uh, through a screen. Uh, and so that has been, you know, helpful through this whole process. And then, you know, on a, on a spiritual level, there is this dynamic of feeling like we are going through a long fasting period. Uh, and while we would not have chosen this particular fast uh, as compared to a fast we might impose on ourselves during the you know, a season of Lent, there is something about a, a longing that develops and, um, you know, an eagerness for being able to gather and an appreciation for gathering when it is safe to do so. Yeah, I think that is I, I see that parallel for sure. And I also, though, feel like as opposed to those seasons, you know, and Lent, say when, you know, like, you know, that Easter's around that corner, right? You know when it is, you have it marked on the calendar. Um, we don't necessarily know. There's been some good news around vaccines and hopefully like within the next six, eight, 10 months, like we could be in a lot better spot than we are now. But like, there's a lot of that uncertainty kind of, as you mentioned earlier, um, how do you deal with uncertainty? Are you like someone who's able to like kind of sit within that? Do you like want to try to like grab control over something? I, I'm just thinking of people who like, like me, who like, like to have control over what's going on when a lot of that has gone out the window uh, this time and having to like reorient myself to, to that, which I think again, is a reminder maybe that ultimately like we don't have control as much as we would like to kind of think we do. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> you are not alone in desiring control. Uh, that is certainly something that, you know, <laughs> I like to have as well. And yeah, we simply do not have control and yet we never had complete control. It's just that we are more, mindful of that fact during this time. 
You're right. Uh, it, this is different. We don't know when this will all end. Uh, so it's not the same as, okay, having, you know, the date for Easter on our calendars. And again, I think this pushes us to <laughs> see what actually gives us some, you know, certainty, what actually provides that firm foundation. Um, and, you know, as people of faith, I <laughs> find that a God and, you know, something that I have often been asking during this time is, just, you know, what, what do people without faith do? I mean, I, I ask that not in, in any sort of judgmental way. It's just, I, I, I go to Jesus Christ, you know, to provide, um, some of that, uh, that, that certainty, uh, in a world that is greatly uncertain. Have you, have you found yourself kind of in those moments, like you mentioning, like kind of coming to Jesus, having more time, maybe, or more space to pray, uh, to engage with different spiritual reading or conversations? I'm, I'm just wondering if there's like anything that has surprised you about like movements of the spirit in your own life you have noticed in this time, things you might not have predicted or, or, or seen happening at the beginning of this time, like eight months ago, but now you're like, oh, actually, I've noticed some, some growth in this way, or something has attracted me. Uh, that I might not have otherwise been attracted to or noticed. Uh, I, yeah, just curious about that. Yes. So I've been, for for a while now, I've been going back to this image of compost. I realize this sounds absolutely bizarre, but, you know, compost, it's this, you know, dead stuff, essentially. You know, your orange peels and your coffee grounds and all this stuff that isn't really good for anything. But, you know, combined with sufficient moisture and, you know, mixed around from time to time such that bacteria can feast on this stuff, it's able to break down and provide nourishment for future growth. And one thing that I have found in my prayer during this time is some signs of that compost dynamic. Of course, we've had to die to a lot, um, but I do see how it is pushing us to grow in different ways. Uh, I, in my own spiritual life, I, I try to, you know, reframe some challenges as opportunities for growth. Now, I uh, <laughs> would not have chosen some of these opportunities if they, you know, weren't uh, kind of imposed on all of us. Uh, but I do see how, you know, life can come from some of these experiences which we've had to die. I find um, for me, like thinking again of the, this Thanksgiving time in which like we're you know, trying to co come back to, to gratitude and mentioning like, well, maybe it's harder to kind of find some of those those things. I've often found a different like challenging times in my life, like kind of like an intentional gratitude practice is helpful. I think of like a time when I was like feeling homesick as like a young college freshman when you were living down the hall from me when I like wound <laughs> up wound up at like a like a statue of Mary and just like my prayer just became like a list of gratitude, like just naming people and things I was grateful for and did that for like 45 minutes. And I finished, I was like, Oh, I feel better now. Um, but sometimes takes that, like you have to find that energy, that spark to, to kind of commit to that. Is there any like Thanksgiving practice, gratitude practice, uh, that, that you have, or you could, could recommend. I sometimes for me, again, it's as simple as just like starting and making a long list 
uh, just as a reminder, I guess counting your blessings is how we would talk to our young kids about that. But um, yeah, just curious for you about like how you cultivate gratitude in your own life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gratitude is so important for anyone and perhaps particularly for people who are rooted in the Ignatian tradition. Uh, gratitude was hugely significant for St. Ignatius. You know, he famously said that you know, ingratitude was the was the worst sin. Um, and, you know, a practice that is near and dear to the hearts of all Jesuits, but many people familiar with our spirituality as well would be the daily examine. And uh, a step of that would be, you know, looking at one's day and giving thanks to God for the blessings uh, of that day. And certainly that's part of my um, daily routine. And there is something about rooting ourselves and reminding ourselves of all that we have been given, even in difficult circumstances. You know, we can surely see, you know, gifts uh, of each day. And I think that gives us, you know, the the strength uh, to kind of, you know, move forward uh, in our day. And, you know, that's a that's a daily practice. But um, I know during my annual retreat, that's another time when I'll spend significant time, you know, looking back on the last year and thinking about all of the the, the gifts that, that God has given you know, that year. Um, and even for people who aren't able to carve out, you know, eight days of silence because, you know, they have families, they have responsibilities. I think Thanksgiving can be a great reminder for all of us to, you know, look back uh, on the year uh, and see that for which we are grateful. So that word Thanksgiving in the Catholic context has multiple levels of meaning for us, uh, including the word Eucharist itself, uh, meaning Thanksgiving, or, or at least rooted in a word that, that means Thanksgiving. Um, and I know for, for me, one of the biggest challenges of this time, since we have little kids and like going to a socially distance, there's no such thing as socially distancing at mass with three kids, one two and five like they are all over the place so like we just haven't gone um which i feel bad about but at the same time like i, I just don't we would be putting people in peril if our snotty nosed kids were like uh running all mm -hmm. over the place so we've only had a few opportunities for, to receive the eucharist and you know i think find ourselves missing that uh so i for you you know you again had, a, had the, you had the chance privilege to kind of celebrate the mass yourself or to participate with with your brother jesuits I, i'm just oh, wanting to kind of like dig into what the eucharist means to you and if you have a new appreciation or different appreciation for it uh, in your life kind of in, in this time and yeah so let's let's talk some catholic thanksgiving now <laughs> sounds great yeah you know again i am mindful of the fact that uh it's a huge privilege to get to receive the eucharist every day and uh so many Catholics uh, are not in that position um, this year. Uh, and right, the, the Eucharist is central to, to my life, um, particularly in these three, three and a half years now as a priest. And, you know, just, just this morning, I uh, celebrated Mass for a small community of the Missionaries of Charity. I just love those sisters uh, so much. And 
you know, getting to bring the Eucharist to them uh, is deeply, deeply meaningful. Getting to continue to celebrate uh, Mass uh, at some different parishes on on Sundays with, of course, lots of lots of precautions and everything um, that continues to give me a lot of hope uh, during this time. But I am mindful of just so many people who have not been able to uh, receive the the Eucharist, and that's significant. I mean, we talk about <laughs> as being the the source and summit of our of our Catholic lives, and uh, not having access uh, to that inevitably uh, has has consequences. Of course, I think this time can, as I said previously, cultivate this longing for uh, the Eucharist. And perhaps, you know, many of us could use uh, a bit of that. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's really easy to take a gift like the Eucharist for granted. Uh, and I think many people uh, <laughs> are forced to realize just how special this is and, and you know, and not take it for granted in, in quite the same way. Um, I hope, you know, uh, after this, that we will be a little bit more mindful of, of what we get to receive, you know, the right body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I, I oftentimes think about how Eucharist means Thanksgiving, but that's not necessarily apparent on the faces of people who go up for communion. <laughs> um, now, I'm guilty of this uh, too, but we can sort of get in a routine and fail to see what a tremendous gift this is. Of course, we're also talking like right after such a contentious election season here in the US. And it, it's clear like how polarized and how kind of broken our communities are in a lot of ways. And I think about like the, the centrality of the Eucharist as this uniting sacrament, that this is a meal to which all are invited. And wondering if, mm -hmm. you know, any you've had any reflection on kind of how Eucharist could help provide any sort of healing. Like can it can it do that? Is that too much to ask? Like does yeah, I don't know. What do you think? How does it connect no, I, to you? Yeah, I think it. I think it. I think it can do that. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I'm mindful of how how just uh, you know pernicious this this current situation is because the Eucharist can and does unite us. Um, but then when we were unable to gather in the normal way. Uh, uh, it's just so unfortunate that, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't have that to unite us in, in quite the same way, and at least in terms of the access and so forth, um, when, yes, goodness, I mean, we, we really are so divided. Um, you know, the ongoing question I've had for just months now is what actually unites us as Americans? Um, I'm seeing... Sadly, fewer things that, that do unite us. And I think as Catholics, the Eucharist is one of those things uh, that does unite us. Um, and so that just increases my longing for not only for all to be welcome, um, but then for all to receive again. Yeah, I mean, there aren't too many places where we find ourselves now, especially like as you know, there's studies that show like how so often our friend groups end up being composed of people who think or vote or whatever exactly the way we do. And that like mass 
when we can be there and the church is full and you can look around at the, you know, different pews and see people who like definitely voted differently than you did, you know, have wildly different visions, but are kind of in the same family. That's one of the few places left. And again, I think too often in our churches too, we see like these competing churches pop up and people kind of pick and choose where they want to go based on like how they feel like it fits their needs. But I think like in like the, the parish, like the, you know, the regular and kind of typical parish, you would have such a mix of people again, who would, who would disagree. And maybe one of the last places we find ourselves uh, with folks like that um, in the, the state of the world as it is now. No, absolutely. And, you know, I have to admit, in recent months, I have thought a lot about how politics, well, of course, it's important, but it just seems as if it as if it has you know, taken up a lot of the oxygen in the room, you know, and we need other things, you know, we need things like church to actually bring us together, no matter, you know, how we might see the world um you know politics is not our god uh and so i i am deeply appreciative of you know the opportunity to interact with all sorts of of people uh at a parish uh at one parish you know i i used to help out at i was always struck by you know this one couple that i got to know well they were both graduates of stanford and then you had you know, immigrants from all over the world. And then at the same time, when I would distribute communion, you know, some of the men would have these just grizzled, calloused hands, you know, clearly they had been, you know, working um, in very physical jobs for, for decades. And, you know, I oftentimes just, you know, sat back and admired this, you know, Catholic idea of here comes everybody. Uh, this, this is a space where different people can uh, come together. Uh, so I want to wrap up our conversation by doing, a, you know, some good old fashioned uh, nostalgia trips. Um, <laughs> so like we, you and I, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I have a Thanksgiving point of contact. So when, when we were in school together in Indiana, I would do my Thanksgivings with my uh, phenomenal relatives in Iowa. And so right. I think at least once you dropped me off at the Flying J rest stop <laughs> near Davenport on your way back home to Iowa City to be with your family. And I would get picked up by my aunt and uncle uh, in Iowa. Uh, and so my favorite Thanksgiving memories are all in Iowa with these aunt, aunt, uncle and cousins who I didn't grow up seeing as much as I would have liked on the East Coast. But when I was living in the Midwest, I had the chance to, to celebrate with them and just such a place of rest in the middle of like busy college time. Um, so I'm just w I'm wondering for you, like things that you'll miss this year, uh, any kind of old family traditions or, or things from Thanksgiving that just uh, probably aren't in the cards for 2020. Yeah, this is going to be <laughs> a really bizarre one. I actually have a wedding uh, on the Saturday immediately before Thanksgiving, and I am going to be quarantining <laughs> the week after the wedding. So this will be an utterly bizarre uh thanksgiving yeah i mean i thanksgiving in iowa it is right and just <laughs> i had forgotten yeah about uh about your own experience of uh doing thanksgiving in iowa yeah of course i mean i um love the opportunity to to gather with family so it's going to be so different this year of course we'll still be able to you know get together on a, a video call and everything but it's uh nowhere near 
near the same. Um, but of course, this still is an opportunity to, you know, count our blessings uh, and, and be thankful. Uh, oftentimes, I think that Thanksgiving is just America at its best. You know, it's a holiday that unites everybody, you know, whether you believe in God or not, you know, everyone can celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, and there is just this kind of welcoming, joyful, celebratory, you know, atmosphere that normally uh, comes along with, with this holiday. Of course, uh, <laughs> it's different this year, um, but uh, it's still an opportunity to gather at least electronically with uh with family and uh encounter blessings so you you have brothers so like it was like mm -hmm. football in the yard part of your yes. thanksgiving so um yeah we okay so definitely something something physical uh <laughs> normally we would actually run they still did this up until just a, a year or two ago we'd run in either a, a trail race or a, a road race uh, on the morning of thanksgiving you know, and you always felt less guilty about how much you ate uh, afterwards if you've done something physical. And uh, there were definitely times when we, you know, played football growing up on Thanksgiving. And then certainly in the Jesuit world, when I was in philosophy studies and in theology studies, we would have a Jesuit turkey bowl uh, where we would organize uh, a football game and then wake up the next morning with really sore hamstrings because we hadn't run like that since the previous Thanksgiving. Uh, so I definitely enjoy, uh, you know, working out in the morning and uh, then feasting uh, later that day. Your talk about Jesuit football uh, has me thinking about how the one big Jesuit college football team lost to uh, another football team that happens to be our alma mater last weekend. I won't get into that, though. I'll just make people feel bad. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. So I have... I have degrees from uh, both schools. I will tell people from that Jesuit university that plays Division One football that I will cheer for them 364 days a year. But uh, I have to go with our alma mater uh, that other day. <laughs> yeah, that you know that is that is very gracious of you because now I am an honorary member of the Jesuit world and I I cheer for them zero days out of 365. But, uh, <laughs> very, it's kind of you. Well, Father Michael Rossman, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to talk. Uh, have a blessed quarantine Thanksgiving. I hope someone remembers to bring some food uh, to you. Uh, thank you for all you do for your ministry, uh, for re reaching out and inviting uh, men to consider vocations uh, to the society. Such important work. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on uh, on gratitude and spiritual life in the midst of the pandemic with us. And yeah, all the best in uh, the weeks to come. Thanks so much, Mike. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. 
Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.